it's been left to me to just say a few words in summary and kind of wrap things up. And, you know, I, I really only have one point that I want to make in the next few moments. Usually I have a number of different points, but today I just really have one point. As I was watching those videos, something occurred to me, and that is that each of those three men came to a place where they, they recognized that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ was coming after them. They came to a place where they believed in him. And if you've never come to a place in your life, we want you to know that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming after you too. And if you've come to a place where you have believed in Christ, we want you to understand that the Lord Jesus Christ isn't done with you. And the reason for all of this is really the one point that I want to make today. And that is that God is for you. Did you know that? Did you know that God is for you? Have you ever had someone who's for you, like someone who was a, like a staunch supporter of yours, an advocate, maybe they were a mentor of some kind, someone who was always there to encourage you, to spur you on when you're out of gas? It's wonderful to have someone like that, and if you've had someone like that in your life, I, I would... I'd like to challenge you to just reach out, them to, to reach out to them today in some way with a text, a note, maybe a phone call, just to tell them thank you. Because it's awesome to have someone who is for you. And I don't think most people recognize that in addition to and beyond the way that your greatest supporters are for you, I don't think most people understand that God is for you as well in a way that is far greater than any of your supporters. And I say that most people don't recognize that God is for them because in all of my years as a pastor, far and away, the most common belief about God that I encounter, either directly by the things that people do or they say, is that God is angry with them and that they must be appeased in some way by their behavior. That's what I think most people feel. It's what I encounter the most. Somehow God is angry with you and you must do something to appease God. And it makes sense that people would think that way. This has always been the way that people have thought about their gods. And let me just take a moment and explain what I, what I mean by that. And if you would just hang with me through this, and I promise the payoff at the end will be worth it, okay? Since ancient times, people have realized that they were dependent on forces outside of themselves, for things like food and water and survival and uh, reproduction and the like. People have always understood that. And over time, ancient people began to personify these forces, and they would give names to them, and then they deified them in the form of rain gods and sun gods and fertility gods and the like. So, for instance, in ancient Mesopotamia, the birthplace of civilization... Baal was the god of lightning. Yom was the god of waters. Among the ancient Sumerians, Nin Hursog was the mother goddess of fertility. They also had, believe it or not, a god of beer. Can you believe that? A god of beer. Ninkasi, the goddess of beer. And the way they worshipped her was to shout dilly dilly. No, I'm kidding you. That's, that's not how that went. But they did have a god of beer. 
Among the Babylonians, Marduk was the god of thunder. There were all kinds of gods, and you can walk across every time period and every people and every tribe and every geographic region and worldview, and you can see this naming of the gods and the goddesses and the deities. And out of all of the, and, and excuse me, and all of this came out of the sense that we are in some way down here on planet Earth, that we are all dependent upon these forces for our very existence. Now, does that make sense so far? What I've said? Okay. Now, over time, you can see how people came to the conclusion that, well, what we need to do now is we need to keep these forces on our side. We need to keep their favor. And so somewhere along the line, someone came up with the idea that, hey, next time, next time we harvest the crop, let's not consume all of it. Let's not store uh, all of it. Let's take a portion of the crop and let's set it aside. And that way what we will do is we will we'll offer it to the forces and then that way they'll see that we're grateful and that we know we depend upon them for our very existence, and they will bless us. Now, obviously, to those people at least, the forces were up there somewhere. So they thought, well, we need to offer this sacrifice in some physical way so that it it goes up to the gods. And so over time, the idea of the altar emerged. They would pile up a bunch of rocks and or maybe they would go up to the top of a mountain and they would place their crops or some of their livestock on the altar to offer up to the forces, uh, to offer these up to the forces that they knew they were totally dependent upon and that they wanted to bless them. Now, this took place over thousands and thousands of years, but here was the problem. Here was the problem with the altar. Let's say that you had an incredible crop last year. And let's say that this year you had an even better one. And so you offered your sacrifices to the God of rain. But then the next year, there was a terrible drought. What did that mean? Well, clearly, that meant you apparently didn't sacrifice enough, so you need to sacrifice more. But then there was another drought the next year. Well, you still apparently haven't sacrificed enough. And so again, you need to sacrifice more. And so the problem with the altar idea was that you never knew where you stood with the gods. And the result was that it created a terrible existential anxiety in the deepest places of the human heart. Now, what if the drought kept going on? And let's say that you've come to a place that you have offered up almost everything that you have You've offered up you know, your crops, you've offered up almost all of your animals, and, and, and now you're at a place that you really don't have anything left, left to offer up. Well, the ancient prophets of Baal would, would cut themselves as a way of shedding their own blood to show to the gods that we are this devoted to you. I now have nothing left but to, but to harm my body to appease you. But what if that still didn't change anything? You eventually come to a place that you offer up human life itself. So the Aztecs offered their children to their gods. Archaeologists have found the remains of 42 children sacrificed to their rain gods. 
The Incans would take a live child and they would wrap it in a burial cloth which would suffocate the child while it was alive. And then they would offer the child as a sacrifice to the God. So add all of that up, and what you see is that there are two things that every civilization, up until, say, the last 50 to 100 years, had in common. First, that they believed that there is another world, a, a supernatural world that they were dependent upon. And second, that there was some kind of barrier between them and the supernatural world. There was a gap that needed to be bridged, a chasm that needed to be bridged in order to get the gods to bless you. And a sacrifice was the way to bridge that chasm and appease the gods. Okay. End of history lesson. That's, that's what I meant when I say that people have always thought of gods in the sense that they have to be appeased. Now, I know what many people today would say is this. They'd say, well, gosh, I am so glad I don't live in a primitive society like that. Like, I'm glad that I live in a day and age that is so evolved and so sophisticated and so technologically advanced and cutting edge that we don't believe in gods anymore. That's so primitive. But are we really more advanced? I mean, yes, I understand we're more technologically advanced. But are we really more advanced? Or do we have the same gods, but they just, we just call them by different names? Like, have you ever known someone who sacrificed their family or their integrity or their health, like for their work, or to experience some level of success or wealth or something like that? You ever known anybody like that? I have. How primitive. Aren't they sacrificing for the God of success or ambition or wealth? Same gods, we just call them different names. I don't know if you've ever known a person who, I don't know if you've ever known a person who cut themselves. Like they, you know, they cut themselves. Sometimes their arms, legs. These are people who are precious, valuable people who have usually experienced so much pain or stress or trauma that they've become numb to it and they cut themselves just to feel something. Here we are in the 21st century and they're participating in a ritual that the prophets of Baal participated in 3,000 years ago. I can't tell you how many times this has happened. Talking to some guy and they ask what I do for a living and, you know, I've told you before how I try to dodge that as much as I can until I just can't dodge it anymore and then finally I tell them, you know, I'm, uh, uh, that I'm a pastor. And, and I've heard this so many times. Maybe some of you have said this. They'll say, you know, I haven't been in church for years because if I did, the walls would fall down. What's he saying? What are they saying? 21st century people, technologically advanced people, sophisticated people. And they still live with the idea that God is so angry, he will tear down the walls of a church if they step in it. See, we have the same gods today, we just call them by different names. And all of these gods, whether they're gods of success or approval or grades or wealth, whatever, they all require you to make a sacrifice of something valuable to appease them. Now the question is, okay, so what what does all this have to do with the idea that God is for you? 
But God is for me. It's for you. Well, I think what a lot of people don't understand, and, and, and frankly, I didn't understand this for many, many years, I think many people don't understand is that the Bible comes out, it doesn't, it doesn't come out of some alternate universe outside of time and space. The Bible is woven in and among these ancient peoples and their beliefs about their gods. And so in the, very tw- in the 12th chapter of the very first book of the Bible, you have this story of a Sumerian man. Remember, they had all of these false gods. You have the story of this Sumerian man named Abraham. To whom he, a God speaks. And this God says to him, go to a new place that I'm going to lead you and I'm going to bless you. Whoa. Now that was a, that was a new and revolutionary idea. A God that people could connect with. Because everyone in that day understood the gods and the goddesses were somewhere else. But they didn't communicate with human beings. They were remote. They were far off. They were distant. They couldn't come close to human beings. Because there was something that separated us. But this story was about a God who connected with a human being. This is a God who actually invades human history to connect with human. Well, eventually, this man named Abraham has a son. And in the 22nd chapter, the very first book of the Bible, this same God says to Abraham, he says, take your only son who you love and offer him as a sacrifice. In other words, kill him. And so Abraham, Abraham heads, he heads up the, a mountain to sacrifice his son. Now, ask yourself this question. Why doesn't this Sumerian man named Abraham, why doesn't he say, no, I, I'm not going to do that. I will not sacrifice my son. Or why doesn't he ask, well, how do you want me to do that? Why is he not shocked with the idea of offering up the most precious thing in the world to him? Here's why. Because to Abraham, this makes perfect sense. This is how the gods work. They require the sacrifice of something precious to you in order to appease them. So Abraham gets to the top of the mountain and he he takes out his knife and he raises his arm. And just before he drives it into his son, God says to Abraham, stop, stop, don't do it. And he says, there's a ram over there that's stuck in the thicket. Go get it and sacrifice it instead of your son. Why why would God have had Abraham go through all of that only to tell him, "Uh, no, don't do it, tricked you, go get the ram in the thicket? Why would he do that? Well, it's because God wanted to make a very vivid and powerful point. He was saying to Abraham, listen, you are used to gods that demand the things that are most valuable to you. But that's not the way I am. And what's fascinating is that Abraham realizes that God is different from all of the human created gods that he had ever worshipped in his his past. And so in that same story, he calls God by a name that means this God provides. See, God was saying to Abraham, your fundamental human posture is, what do I have to give to the gods to get them to appease them? But he was saying, this story, this story is a story of a God 
who provides rather than you having to provide the sacrifice. (laughs) Well, fast forward into the New Testament. Jesus Christ is born into the world and he keeps telling people that he has been sent by God because indeed the ancient civilizations were right all along. There is a barrier between humanity and God and he says that the barrier is called sin and and he says that every human being is a sinner and, and he said that the sin of humanity must be paid for by a perfect sacrifice. And if you would have had one of those ancient gods, you would have thought, well, I have to come up with a sacrifice. I've got to provide a sacrifice to appease God. People had high expectations for Jesus. The prophets in the Old Testament had told them to be on the lookout for a coming Messiah. They expected him to overthrow the Roman government with a show of supernatural power. But instead, he does the most unexpected thing imaginable. The night before he was crucified on a cross, he ate a Passover meal which recalled the sacrifice of a lamb that each Jewish family had had to offer thousands of years ago to be spared the death of their firstborn sons before their rescue from Egypt. And there at the Passover meal, Jesus called himself the Lamb of God. And then he voluntarily sacrificed his own life on a Roman cross. The New Testament writers wrestled with the significance of all of this, and finally they they realized that this was what the account of Abraham and Isaac all of those years ago was pointing to. That this God, instead of requiring your sacrifices, this God provided the sacrifice himself in the person of his own son. And you can hear this. Listen to how the New Testament describes this. Listen to how these writers describe it. One of them says this, we know love by this, that he laid down his life. And what's the next word? What's the next word? For us. Peter says it this way, one of Jesus' disciples, for Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for, the just is Jesus, for the unjust, that's us, so that he might bring us to God. And then The Apostle Paul is reflecting on all of this, and he comes to the conclusion, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? See, what they recognized was that Christ's death was for us, which meant that God had been appeased, that there were no more sacrifices to bring because the ultimate sacrifice in Jesus had been made. But you ask, well, okay, how do I know? How do I know that Jesus was God's sacrifice? How do I know that the God of the Bible is the true God? Because of what we're here today to celebrate on Easter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. No other religion in all of human history has a bodily resurrected God. That was too much for human beings to imagine. The bodily resurrection of Jesus was the validation of Jesus Christ as the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And you see, this is the gospel message. This is what Christianity is all about. That God has been appeased by the sacrifice of Jesus for you. 
And the New Testament says that in response to this, the only thing left for you to do is to believe. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. From what? What will you be saved from? What we talked about earlier. The thing that all of the human-made gods in the world cause. Even the ones that we don't think we worship, but we do worship. They just have different names. Like ambition and success and approval and grades and all of that stuff. Saves you from a life of anxiety. A life of never knowing if you've done enough to appease the God. Living as if the gods are angry or of trying to control your life to the point of sheer exhaustion or the sacrifice of your family or of having to live life in fear of death, knowing that you will have an eternal life, you see, when you believe. God, you see, is for you this morning. And I would go so far as to say that it is why you are here this morning. It is no accident that you are here today. He wants you to know that he's not angry, that he's been appeased, that he wants to bless you with his son, Jesus Christ. Today, right now, in the privacy of your seat, he wants to do that. But like, but look, like anybody who wants to be your advocate or your supporter or your mentor, you can reject him. You can certainly do that. You can keep trying to live your life where you, know, you keep trying to make the sacrifices yourself. Uh, you know, if I just did a little more, if I just prayed a little more, if I just made a little more money, you know, life would be good. If I just, whatever the just is for you. You can reject it. It's up to you to believe in him or not. But the men you saw in the videos earlier in the service, they were, they were all men who came to a point in their lives where they began to realize that the God of the universe was for them. And then he had demonstrated that in Jesus Christ. And when they believed in him, the resurrected Jesus came to live in them. There are no more sacrifices that you need to make. Nothing that you need to do to clean up your life before you believe in Jesus. There's nothing you can do. Jesus has done it. The sacrifices have been paid. All that's left for you to do is to declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Would you bow your heads with me? Or there are many people in this room that still feel like that there are sacrifices that they have to make in order to appease you. Some of these people are religious people and they, they feel like, well, you know, I, I have, yes, I believe in Jesus, but I've got to keep, you know, I've got to keep, I've got to keep doing the right stuff. I, I can't let my guard down because I've got to make sure that I bring all of these sacrifices to him or else I won't be saved. Lord, would you show them today that the Lord Jesus Christ paid it all. All of the sacrifices have been made necessary. Or there are others in the room who've never heard this kind of thing before, and maybe this is very different than what they thought about Christianity. 
Christianity isn't the message about go be moral and clean up your life. Christianity is the message about believe that Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. That there are no more sacrifices to be paid. That chasm can be bridged between man and God by believing that the Lord Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. Lord, we thank you for this truth, these truths. Thank you that you have been appeased. Thank you that you are for us. Thank you that you are no longer angry. And it is in your name, Lord Jesus Christ, that we worship and we pray today.